Welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast with me, Simini Kiriakou, editor of FT Advisor. Anyone who expected 2022 to be the year the globe returned to normality has not lived very long on this globe. The only thing of which we can be certain is that uncertainty abounds. A quiet and boring life does not exist in the financial markets, and politicians will always behave like they're extras on the set of Yes, Prime Minister, or worse. But amid the geopolitical turmoil, the unwinding of COVID support and new fiscal policies being put in place to counteract inflation, where should investors turn for help? It has been said there is no perfect inflation-proofing when it comes to portfolios, but what sort of measures can advisors and their clients take to help make sure the end goals can still be met despite all this certain uncertainty? Multi-asset managers have long extolled the virtues of diversification across geographies, asset classes and style exposures. But what sort of strategies can multi-asset managers and investment analysts put in place to help mitigate the effect of all this market movement? Joining us to discuss these issues and more is Sheldon MacDonald, Marlborough's Chief Investment Officer of Multi-Asset. Elena Kosava, Head of Investment Research at AJ Bell, and Paris Anand, Chief Investment Officer for Artemis. Welcome all. Thank you very much. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Elena, might I start with you, please? Have you come to expect the unexpected? And if so, how do you factor this into your investment processes? Good morning. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I think, you know, as, as you've alluded to, I think, you know, the environment is really quite uncertain and, you know, it's uncertain for a reason. I think, you know, we are operating in unprecedented, uh, unprecedented times when financial models are frankly struggling for direction, you know, at the time of market turning points. And we've seen, you know, plenty of that happening post COVID. And, you know, when you look at more sort of traditional asset class, as well, where a lot of clients are looking for um, capital protection, um, broadly speaking, we've seen something happen in market this year, which is really something that we haven't seen for quite some time. So, you know, if you cast your mind back and sort of, you know, think about the environment we've been in over the last couple of years, really since the global financial crisis, interest rates have been falling precipitously and, you know, really structurally. And um, guild assets have performed really, really well on the back of that. However, as we've seen a real change in market environment, free risk or risk-free government uh, debt securities have done, you know, have have experienced unprecedented levels of volatility in markets uh, this year, almost akin to volatility we've seen in in assets such as Bitcoin, for example. Mm. Um, at AJ Bell, uh, we you know I must admit that we didn't necessarily see huge amount of value um, in government bonds coming into this year, and you know kind of paying attention to real yields, we didn't particularly see you know great value for client portfolios. So in, to some extent, you know price discovery function has been burned by relentless money printing by central banks and sort of you know we we did think that you know some of it will be exposed at some point and actually lo and behold uh, we've been experiencing real turbulence in this particular part of the market and I think that's where sort of you know we've done you know I suppose enough to be able to shield um, clients from you know really unexpected levels um, of variability in performance uh, in that particular part of the market. Mm. So plenty of variability and and plenty of volatility. Sheldon did, did you anticipate coming into 2022 that there would be such volatility? I think the levels of volatility that we have seen have been a surprise. The past decade, from from 2010 to 2020, 
kind of lulled us into a sense of complacency, didn't it? Everything was going up uh, together monotonously, up you know, everything from stocks and bonds to collectibles, wines, cars, even some some rare Legos were you know, <laughs> priced out you know, to crazy levels. There was always going to be a, a reckoning, I think. And so that rebound of volatility was expected. Valuations had reached a point mm. where it, it certainly couldn't continue and certainly not at that pace. So some degree of volatility was to be expected. But you diversify your portfolios. You mentioned that right at the start. As multi-asset investors, that's the one tool that we have. Harry Markowitz, mm. Nobel Prize winning uh, economist, said that's the one free lunch that you can get in investing. So stay diversified to try and mitigate some of these effects. There's also things you can do. Alana indicated some of those. You know, you, you can react tactically in certain ways to try and mitigate the worst of the volatility. And I'm sure we're going to come to speak about that in the in the minutes ahead. Mm, absolutely. Paras, do you, do you think that we can now expect always to have some kind of unexpected event? And sort of how do you go about sort of maybe pricing this in or kind of factoring this into to future investment decisions? Yeah, thank you, Simone. I mean, I, I think actually if I were to build on Elena's point, I think one of the things, the questions you could ask yourself, and especially one of the things that we would ask ourselves as you know, bottom-up fundamental investors is which environment feels kind of more normal or logical? Is it the environment where you effectively have a zero interest rate policy and there's almost no price that is that it, you know is it, too high that can be commanded by certain assets, or is it one where there's actually a much closer correlation between the sort of the fortunes of the underlying issuers or securities that you're investing in and their return in the market? So whilst I absolutely accept that this you know feels like a period of elevated volatility, that the background conditions you know, feel to, again, to use Elena's expression, that, that we're, we're, we're kind of in an unprecedented environment. To an extent, actually, this feels like a much more normal environment for us as kind of fundamental investors. And I think we're going to be moving into a phase where the averages in terms of whether it's uh, certain benchmark indices will matter less, and we will have the capacity to make uh, selection within uh, these broader investment opportunities, where I do think that that value and valuation, which has been a very poor tool for investors over the last decade, may carry more uh, more power as we look forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I think over the past decade, people have been saying quite a lot about um, the US market in particular. Valuations look too high. We're going to expect a correction. And then the pandemic comes and the US market seems to go even higher. And that sort of Correction doesn't seem to come. Largely, I think uh, the, the the Fang stock. We can't call them Fangs now. Do we call them Mangs? I don't know. What do you guys call them now? We got to Fan Mag. Fan Mag. Wow. I like. <laughs> so uh, well, Fan Mags. I mean, that's that's a whole new uh, that's a whole new world for me. Um, I mean, if we can't rely on sort of the, the valuations or sort of general market consensus, Paris, how do we go about as investors? sort of working out what should and shouldn't be in our portfolios? I mean, do we end up having to tinker more than usual in such environments or do we just kind of leave it be? Do we, do we trust the process? So, so no, I think, I think that there's a, there's a handful of things that I, I think investors will, will kind of need to consider. I mean, the I mean, first is, you, you know, and, and uh, a number of the other, the other have talked about, about you know, that this, this environment of elevated volatility. 
And one of the things that's been an interesting guide for us is that the market participants over the last decade have paradoxically paid an ever higher price for avoiding volatility. Mm. You know, it's it's been, uh, you know, the very dependable long duration growth stock. It's been the, you know, um, uh, the, the security offered by government bonds and, and the capital preservation. And, and actually, as we've sort of, you know, one of the arguments that we've been making is that Interestingly, some of the best risk reward as we look forward is actually taking on the volatility that other investors don't want. So hence, as we look at sort of areas, let's say, within the equity market, like global emerging markets or um, the UK, you're actually being offered those um, uh, those opportunities at very low through cycle valuations. And that gives you that kind of margin of safety that means that, you know, our, our prospects for future returns are supported. So again, I I come back to this principle that, you know, where valuation was such a poor predictor of future returns Mm -hmm. in the last cycle, I think perhaps as we kind of look ahead to to, to the cycle to come, that investors will be well served by paying closer attention to to the value that, that certain parts of the market have been are being offered so maybe being a little bit more contrarian is actually a route to balancing your kind of risk reward opportunities sure, a little bit more contrarian i like that maybe not quite bill bonner levels of contrarian but um do we then think that volatility can be the long-term investor's friend elena i'll come to you yeah, I think, you know, so, yeah, at the time of uncertainty, I think, you know, people, you know, we have to r- remind ourselves that, you know, that we're still humans. And I think humans are somewhat susceptible to all sorts of behavioral biases. And I think particularly at the time of volatility, at the time of uncertainty, the real, you know, kind of desire is to do something, you know, to tinker with things and, you know, try and see if you can, you know, perhaps time the markets, um, and, you know, try and do some something of that nature. But actually, I think, you know, kind of we as investors need to stay calm, I suppose, and, you know, remind ourselves that the real value of the process tends to shine through, particularly at those moments where uncertainty is, you know, at the highest. So I think certainly at AJ Bell, you know, we recognize that, you know, we tend to not be you know particularly good at market timing i don't think you know huge amounts of investors are particularly good at it even though they might think they are but actually you know kind of focusing on the process focusing on this you know key structural drivers and you know as ever questioning your assumptions making sure that you are in sync with what's going on in markets but not necessarily panicking so kind of taking measured decisions uh, making sure you stay in the market making sure you kind of take volatilities in your stride as you know has been mentioned by other speakers you know volatility is very much part of the course so i think you know whilst we've forgotten a little bit that you know assets can be volatile you know risk and return really go hand in hand and you know kind of making sure that you are in a market for the long run perhaps ignore some of the noise and focus on a you know sort of long-term um, time horizon is what we've been really doing here at aj bell excellent thank you um and just picking up on that point there we talked uh, a little bit about risk and return Sheldon, how do you balance risk and return within a portfolio, given that some investors may say, well, actually, I'd rather not have a return right now in terms of absolute growth. I just don't want a loss. (laughs) So we always have to remember that we're catering for a wide range of clients. And so we offer a range of portfolios with different levels of risk. I think it's 
probably naive for investors to invest and to expect never to experience mm. a loss through the course of their investment. The key, as we've all said, is to think of the long term, to stay invested for the long term. Diversification can help uh, avoid some of the, the worst ups and downs in markets. As, again, other people have mentioned, there's strategies you can introduce. So for us, it's not around using the blunt instrument of being in the market or out of the market. Mm. Yep, yeah, we all know timing the market is, is fraught. There's those things you can do. So stay invested. We are staying invested on the equity side, though. We're tilting towards more defensive areas of the market. That allows you then to, as I said, avoid some of the worst cases. So equity income is a, a case in point for us. Using funds which themselves are investing in higher dividend-paying stocks or at least steady dividend-paying stocks, the kinds of companies that are being and have been managed with the capital disciplines in place to enable them to pay a long-term steady growing dividend are the kinds of stocks we think that will be rewarded in this volatile environment. So strategies that you can introduce, don't use that blunt instrument of being in or out of the market. That uh, is a probably a recipe for disaster. Indeed. Is there also an element that when everything just seems in so much turmoil as it does now, that diversification seems a lot sort of harder to achieve, perhaps when a lot of things seem to be moving in the same pattern, not necessarily always um, completely correlated, but quite nearly correlated? That does create difficulties, of course. Uh, the, The greater the correlation, the higher the volatility you're going to get. There are always areas, though, that you can find to to add diversification. We also, though, need to remember that in many of these areas that are available to us now, so things like structured products or alternatives, hedge funds, property even, each of these comes with their own set of risks, Mm. and those need to be fully understood. We've just seen in the last couple of weeks property funds starting to lock up and and gate redemptions again. These risks that are non-investment risks, or at least non-price risks, you need to understand these as well. Know what you're getting into. So in general, we prefer to keep things fairly simple. Look for the opportunities to diversify in the strategies that you know and you understand. Mm, Thank you very much. I'm going to go to to Paris because you were talking earlier about sort of fundamental uh, stock picking. When you're looking for the very best stock to put into your portfolios, how much emphasis do you put on sort of what's happening in that sector as a whole or in that particular asset class? Or do you just kind of avoid that and go straight to the actual sort of reporting accounts, the company's fundamentals? I mean, is there also an element of qualitative research as well as quantitative research that you put in? Absolutely. Look, I think I think that when, when we're looking at sort of company level analysis, I mean, most of it does really kind of start with the idiosyncratic um, business itself. But obviously, one of the things that you're trying to sort of navigate is to understand why not only do you believe that this uh, business will be worth uh, you know, more over time, but why in particular it has the market got a particular misperception around it? So, you, you know, coming back, coming back to you know, point that Elena made about, you know, human beings and their sort of behavioral biases, we, we, we do like our narratives. And so one of the things that, you know, I, I try, we, we, we sort of try to look at is where, where could the, a narrative around a company be sort of moving? So let me give you a couple of examples. You know, one of the areas in the market that was very strongly out of favor was very capital intensive businesses. As we went in through the last cycle, everything was about intangibles. Everything was about sort of software. But now with the kind of a rising cost of capital, the replacement cost 
of some capital intensive businesses is rising. So assets that we were kind of undervaluing in the last cycle could actually carry more value for us in the cycle to come. Similarly, you know, one of the areas that's been a great source of return for us is often companies that are the market sees as being old economy companies, but actually are leveraging the benefits of technology and digitization to kind of transform their business models. So, you know, they, they're, they're sort of, um, uh, in a way, harnessing the value of their existing franchise or brand or, or customer loyalty, but able to kind of serve in a much more um, low cost or efficient way. So I think really for us, it, it, it is about sort of looking at those kind of individual companies. And actually, just maybe, maybe the last thing I would say is that sometimes, in fact, more often than not, the sector that a company's in or the market in which it's listed can be a source of opportunity. At the moment, we can find, you know, companies with a very similar business profile listed in the UK versus listed in the US and, 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 and avail ourselves of a meaningful uh, valuation discount as a result of doing so. Thank you very much. That that was really interesting. And I liked what you said also about the, the, the narratives and sometimes we do kind of buy into a narrative. Alina, do you think that the sort of the narratives that investors have always held, those old maxims of buy and hold or the 60-40 portfolio model, do we need to throw these out now? Do these no longer hold any water? Yeah, I think you know this is a topic which you know I'm sure everyone's been you know kind of you know talking about in recent um, you know months, given you know how very difficult performance has been in parts of the market which were supposed to be defensive. So you know I think you know the reality is that you know kind of really talking about macro versus micro, you know it macro has been such a dominant market driver. You know at the time where you know, frankly, the great exuberance is coming to an end and central banks are attempting to normalize policies. So, you know, assets which used to be your sort of gatekeepers, I suppose, your bonds actually have absolutely disappointed um, this year. And I think it's, you know, really particularly disappointing in those lower risk portfolios where, you know, this is, you know, essentially your defense, you know, you, you know, potentially, you know, be struggling, I guess, in the current environment to try and make back some of that underperformance and, you know, absolute losses that people have experienced experience are, you know, really quite difficult. Um, I think, you know, the law of numbers tends to tell us that, you know, don't lose money, try and, you know, not lose as much, and then you don't have to recover as much. So, you know, particularly in those lower risk grades, it becomes quite a challenge if, you know, you, you happen to have been invested in the long bonds. But I think, you know, kind of the broader um, story around 60-40, I think, you know, it provides a reasonably useful framework, although, you know, given the current market circumstances and, you know, potentially direction of travel, it is, you know, perhaps needs um, you know, to, to evolve. And I think if you look you know, kind of at the current environment where we are you know, seeing an end to globalization, oil prices and generally energy prices are quite high, interest rates are on the rise, you know, potentially US is no longer willing to play the world's policeman's role. Mm. So I think you know, a lot of government spending and a lot of, kind of more entrenched inflation is likely to come through on a forward-looking basis. And you know, kind of putting it all together, you know, what do we think about you know kind of returns from here and you know is the 6040 really viable so i think you know going back to my point i think it's a reasonably useful framework 
Um, however, within that, we still need to make you know, certain number of nuances kind of within fixed interest. In particular, you have to be really selective, make sure you understand the assets you hold, you know, kind of updating your thinking in regards to kind of levels of volatility we're likely to experience, you know, how are those assets likely to behave on a forward-looking basis, kind of considering correlations, you know, between bonds and equities at the time of rampant inflation, you know, market sell-offs tends to see a lot of the correlations break down and everything is going to one so you you kind of need to almost identify other assets which would play you know your gatekeeper if you like so at aj bell we've been pretty much focusing um on using a, an entire toolkit available to us you know in some ways as investors we're really lucky because you know the amount of products and sort of like um, you know different types of exposures you could gain you know be targeted beta be sort of you know really um focused sector exposures or individual countries or you know playing um at certain you know kind of end of the yield curve you know perhaps focusing on shorter duration as we have been so you know we've almost had to use the entire toolkit mm. available to us in order to deliver performance or you know relative performance in this case um in the current environment Thank you. That's really interesting, Elena. So, Sheldon, Elena's been talking about gatekeepers. Are you the key master then as, as a multi-asset manager with your range of portfolios? So I just had to quote Ghostbusters there, you know. But um... Certainly, in, investors are looking to us to try and unpick the lock, really, to, to try and help them understand markets and to invest on their behalf as, as wisely as we can. As we've spoken about, diversification is the main tool in our in our toolkit to do that and and we're using that uh, as as far as we can to try and avoid the um, the ups and downs there will be volatility we know that is particularly in this current environment where we haven't yet fully understood some of the impacts of actions that central banks have already taken mm-hmm. we there's still so many uh, unknowns out there on the geopolitical front for instance so there will still be volatility and you do need to be able to ride out those storms. But that volatility is what creates opportunities for us as multi-asset managers where we're choosing funds and doing a little bit of tactical asset allocation, but also for the underlying fund managers to take hold of those opportunities where inefficiencies exist, where mispricings are created. Remember the meme stocks. Mm. Yeah, we uh, reminding listeners, GameStop. Yeah, the share price was pushed dramatically up because uh, yeah, because of a bunch of people on Reddit started yeah. sharing information. That though creates opportunities when when assets are pushed to levels not justified by their fundamentals. That's when active managers can come into their own and deliver you the the outperformance, the alpha over and above what you might get by investing in a, in passive vehicles. So lots for us to do as uh, as multi-asset investors, lots to keep our eyes on, but uh, certainly lots of opportunities that will be out there. Sure. Now, you, know, you mentioned sort of exploiting inefficiencies. Um, Paras has also mentioned that. But do you still think markets are fundamentally efficient? And, and do you sort of build that into your portfolios? Or do you think they're sort of fundamentally inefficient? But you would think markets would have become more efficient with the speed of information transfer that happens these yeah. days. But if markets were efficient, then you wouldn't get those meme stocks uh, situations occurring. I think, though, yeah, we there's a certain degree of efficiency, but recognizing, though, that opportunities will, will be there for us and for the underlying managers to take advantage of. Mm. Paras, I'll come to you because you also mentioned sort of inefficiencies. Uh, you still finding those good opportunities out there? Absolutely. I think I think that, you know, our, our view remains that markets are efficient uh, in, in the long term. 
But I think that there are a number of factors that mean that you have to be patient as investors because the return path, the path of return, can be longer and noisier than you might expect. Um, you know, to give you two examples, I mean, Sheldon mentioned, you know, the, the frequency with which uh, short-term data gets reflected into kind of, you know, um, uh, share prices. That gives you a certain element of, of volatility. Uh, and then the, the second is, you know, when, as you've got more, sort of passive funds and index funds that simply kind of just just buy the buy the market as it is you know they themselves are you know after a point in time they become their own source of uh, inefficiency in in the system but i think you know very much what you know what we are learning and i think we'll learn over time is that is that you know markets they do return to uh, efficiency that fundamental value will out you just have to be patient as an investor in order to kind of realize that opportunity that sort of brings me very nicely on to, to the last question. So uh, I'll, I'll stay with you, Paris, then go to Elena, and then go to Sheldon. What should advisors be telling clients right now? I think, I think if, if, if I could sort of focus on three messages, I think the first is ensure that when, 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 when you're kind of looking through your allocations that you um, pay attention to valuation and you have a long-term um, uh, perspective. I think the second uh, point that I would uh, emphasize is that try to sort of look through the volatility. Again, I, I know we've, we've sort of talked about this theme a lot. I mean, one of the things that we have seen, for example, is that investors might have turned to uh, areas like private markets mm -hmm. where the price discovery process is, is a lot lower and therefore you know, your, at least your experience of volatility is, is a lot less. But, you know, that's, that's maybe where some of the more meaningful negative mispricings have kind of yet to occur. So in a sense, you know, the, as, as a, maybe a theme that I've been speaking about is the kind of, you know, volatility is your friend. If you, can, if you can be prepared to kind of look through it, I think therein lies a sort of a good source of return. And then the last point, again, which I think both, both Sheldon and Elena have made is, you know, a sensible amount of diversification, I think, does you good as a long-term investor. Thank you very much. Elena? I think, you know, these are some, you know, really valid points. And I guess, you know, so, you know in, in my mind, you know, we sort of have been, you know, kind of lurching from one extreme to another where central banks, you know, were talking about inflation being transitory and then now it's fully entrenched and, you know, potentially likely to perhaps, you know, remain here for a long period of time. So I think, you know, big market themes like these are driving central bank policy. And I think, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to actually, you know, try and, you know, listen to everything that you're hearing and kind of try and condense it down to, to, to a message, you know, which is potentially palatable for investors. So I think process is absolutely key. Try and take, you know, emotion out of investing, try and kind of focus on the long run, make sure you kind of question, I suppose, you know, the kind of um, returns you are getting from your provider, you know, make sure you're testing the assumptions on the basis of which those central, you know, investment products are operating. Ask questions as an advisor. I mean, there's never been a better time to actually, you know, try and test some of the, you know, things that everyone seems to be taking for granted in terms of policy direction, in terms of, you know, likely market direction in terms of the underlying security selection. I think you kind of need to also, you know, as ever, understand if your, you know, provider is actually fit for purpose. Is the process dynamic enough? Is it, you know, somewhat dogmatic, perhaps a little bit stodgy, unwilling, you know, to test those assumptions, to ask really uncomfortable questions? And, 
you know, I guess one thing we can all be certain about is the level of fees we are paying. So, you know, as ever, we are, you know, ever, you know, kind of, you know, amongst this relentless drive to try and drive fees for people, um, you know, down and try and make it as efficient as possible. But I think, you know, stay invested, stay diversified, look through the market volatility. And I think kind of focusing on that long run is where it'll serve you best um, over time. Exactly. I think we need to focus on fees for a whole new podcast because that, that's, a, that's a big topic in and of itself. But Sheldon? I think we've been discussing volatility and diversification. These are probably the big themes, uh, certainly for multi-asset managers uh, to bear in mind. We've also though spoken about how that volatility will create opportunities. And I think there is an opportunity at the moment. We spoke about our behavioural biases. It's very difficult mm. for us to now, you know, in this period where things are looking so difficult and so dark, it is difficult to see the way out of that. But it's important for us to remember that there is a way out. There will be, you know, markets will return. The The average bear market gives you something like minus 30 to 40%. The average bull market lasts for a lot longer and gives you something like 150, 160% returns. And that's why we keep insisting Staying invested for the long term is really key. Don't panic. Don't uh, don't get whipsawed. Timing uh, the market is fraught. Time in the market is very important. And just right now, there are some of those glimmers of hope starting to emerge that, that perhaps we are over the worst. We have seen inflation start to fall. For some people, maybe not falling fast enough, but we think we're over the worst. We're seeing shipping costs coming down dramatically. Oil prices are coming down, that little Philip uh, two weeks ago after the OPEC meeting notwithstanding. House prices are coming down. That will start to reduce inflation. That will mean perhaps the interest rate rises may be able to stop slightly sooner, sooner than expected. Interest rates, though, don't have to stop rising before markets will start to discount the end of the cycle. Markets will start to see uh, that that glimmer of hope, that uh, yeah, the, the, the new dawn perhaps. And so... Remember that uh, there is still hope. There is a lot to be positive about and certainly staying invested and staying diversified in risk appropriate portfolios is the way forward. Thank you. That is a really lovely and positive note on which to end the podcast. Being a journalist, I'm cynical. And so I have every confidence that 2023 is going to be the equivalent of leaving a spoon upturned in your sink and turning the tap on. But uh, I, I really like your positivity. And I think that's a good message for advisors to carry to clients. So thank you very much, Sheldon, Elena and Paras for your time today. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. For more news and views, click on ftadvisor.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.